And if you want to find your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. All right, now I just uh, want to ask a question here from kids from age 2 to 92. How many of you have ever been scared? Okay. All right, yes. And it's always great to have the kids in here with you because they are so honest, you know? They got all the hands came up, all the adults like, what? I don't want to appear scared or anything like that. Of course, you need to know that your mom and dad, even though they didn't put their hand up because they look like they're fiddling with their Bible, they've been scared, okay? All right? Uh, let me tell you, when I, was, when I was a kid, I watched this cartoon. Hopefully it's not on TV anymore, but it's called Planet of the Apes. Is it on? I'm glad they got that eradicated and taken off TV, okay? Because I, I watched this cartoon, and, and there were these big gorilla guys, and they, were, and, they, and they were scary looking. And when I was a kid, I don't know where this thought came from, but I thought somehow that they lived underneath my bed, okay? And so, of course, you know, you get up at night every once in a while, and you might have to go to the bathroom or check on your dog or something like that, and I'd have to jump off my bed through the door because they couldn't, so they wouldn't get me, Right? And sometimes when I was trying to be really brave, okay, and it took a little while to muster up this kind of courage, but I would peek down and look underneath that bed to see if they were there. And sure enough, they weren't. There's my Legos, my dinosaur bone collection, my rock collection, but there were never, there was no apes down there. There was no monsters. And yet we kind of thought, we kind of think that, yeah, those things, that makes sense. When we're a kid, uh, we, we have basically two options when we're scared, right? And those two options that we present to our parents are this. Either you come sleep with me or I'm sleeping with you. Take your pick, whatever it is. Because, right? Isn't that how it works? You're scared. You're like, ah, I need my mom or my dad, right? And so what happens is you either are sleeping with them or they are joining you in that little single bed. And they don't fit in it, but they're there. And you know what happens? Well, once mom or dad are there, ah. Oh, those supposed monsters, well, they're nowhere to be found, right? And all of a sudden, in a couple, two to three minutes, your parents tell you, you know what, let me just calm you from your irrational fears that are vexing you, and you don't even understand what they're saying, but it doesn't even matter. All that matters is that mom's there, or dad's there, and you can rest. Now, I wish that anxiety was reduced to just when you're a little kid, and you had little make-believe things like monsters underneath your bed, but guess what? Anxiety is a lifelong potential condition. There's something about us that we get stressed about so many things. And anxiety is an uneasiness, and it's apprehension, it's a a sense of doom, it's a fear, it's a worry. And you know what? There are multiple causes for anxiety in our life. This morning, even though we're at the heart of the Christmas season, we got a lot of folks that are very anxious and very worried. Let me just tell you some of the different reasons why. We, one of them is that we've got a great fear of the future. There's a fear of what's going to happen to our kids, our finances, our government, a fiscal cliff. I mean, can we continually borrow this amount of money? When is it all going to come crashing down? There's a, there's a threat of always potential war and who's got a nuclear weapon and there's terror and there's the economy and, and then there might be a loved one and they've got a particular situation and and we have so many things in the future that we can get focused on that it actually leads to a lot of anxiety in our life. There's a lot of us here this morning and I just actually called a couple and you're like, that is exactly what's going on. I am afraid of my, what's going to happen with my job or with one of my kids. And then another big cause of fear is uh, anxiety is the conflict in the present Perhaps it's our financial situation or there's a relationship that's not going right or one of our children has just gone wayward 
It's just tearing us up inside, and there is this conflict that in the present that is going on. Or maybe you're experiencing some sort of health condition. And just like, my, my body is falling apart. And it leads to a lot of stress. And of course, there's another one, and that is a great regret over the past. You absolutely blew it in some relationship. You said something that you shouldn't have said. You've done things in your life that continually bring you shame there's something that happened in your family, and it just tears you up. It seems like it just surfaces, and all of a sudden just uh, starts choking you. And let me just tell you about stress. It affects us physically, emotionally, even spiritually. I mean, the reason that you have ulcers and all this heartburn and indigestion and backaches and your body can't sleep, oftentimes it's traced to anxiety and to worry. And that would be the continual human condition unless God intervened. And this season, we've been going through the gifts of Christmas. The gifts that we have by virtue of our relationship with Christ. The gift of love, hope. Last week, we looked at joy. But God gives a specific gift to his people that is always available to us. Because we always have Christ, and that is the gift of peace. And the big question that we all wrestle with is, how in the world can I, how can anybody, how can they really have peace in a world that's gone crazy? And if you want the answer to that question, the key to overcoming anxiety is found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. If you have not ever memorized these two verses, this Christmas season do so. This is like the bedrock, the foundation for Christianity, for knowing the peace of God amidst the turmoil of life. Look and see if these two verses, if you can't find how you and I can experience peace. Verse 6, he says, Paul writes, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He literally writes, be anxious for nothing. And actually, it's a command. It's a negative imperative. It means to stop doing this. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he is directly writing this letter because he knows that humans... Christians have a tendency to stress and be anxious. And so he writes, stop doing this. He says, be anxious for nothing. Do not, do not worry and fret. Now, worry, what the word anxious is translated here, it literally means to pull apart, to separate. And that's what anxiety does. Even when our word, our word worry, the, it comes from an old English derivative, it actually means to strangle. And that's what worry does. It literally starts choking us out. It, it's as if it, like God doesn't exist. There's no potential for peace. And it's like you just get strangled and torn apart. And it literally leaves you decimated. And anxiety has some very awful effects. In 1991, in the Gulf War, Iraq launched, launched a series of Scud missiles into Israel. You remember this? And, they, and the Israelis were extremely afraid that there was going to be biological and chemical weapons that were going to be used on them. And so the Israeli government 
issued to every single person a gas mask. They also gave them these automatic atropine uh, syringes, adrenaline, in the event of a chemical attack. And every Israeli was supposed to have a sealed-off room, all anticipation of this dreadful attack coming from Iraq. And as the, as the situation continued to mount, January 17, 1991, finally they struck. And Iraq did strike with some of their Scud missiles. And you know what? A lot of people died in Israel as a result of the Scud missile attacks. But what was really was interesting is when they actually started looking at the official mortality statistics, what they found was rather shocking. The people that died, almost most of them didn't die as a result of actually being hit by one of these Scud missiles. Almost all of them died as a result of a heart attack due to the anxiety and the apprehension that they were going to be struck by a missile. And they, in fact, what they found is the days leading up and including the day of the first strike, that's when the most deaths occurred in Israel. But right after that, the actual mortality rates all went back to their normal range. In fact, that's been true in all wars. Once the initial hit has happened, it's like people hit a new equilibrium and they go on. For the people of Israel, they realize it wasn't going to be as bad as they anticipated. And that is really interesting. It's because most of the people died from the psychological effects, not the physical effects of the missiles. And that's probably true today. We are so worried and we get so consumed about what potentially could happen to us, it literally eats us alive. And think of it, there's threatened layoffs at work, right? We've got gun issues in our school. There's all sorts of issues that we face. Don't we have a right to be fearful and afraid to death? Don't we? Well, maybe not. There is a book written here by Douglas Rumford, and it's literally called Scared to Life. And in it, he does this study, and he cites a study that explains why we shouldn't allow fear to rule and overrule our lives. Look at this. This is pretty fascinating from this study. 60% of our fears are totally unfounded. You see that huge, big blue section? 60%. 60% of our fears are totally unfounded. Like Proverbs 13.10 says in the original NASB, through presumption comes nothing but strife. Most of the stuff is not going to happen. But we are sure working ourselves up into a frenzy because of it, right? In that study, they also found that 20% of the things are already behind us. You literally can't do anything about it. 10% are so petty that they don't make any difference. And 4 to 5% of the remaining 10% are real, but you can't actually do anything about them. That means that there's about 5% of the things that are stressing you that you might be able to do something about. Five percent. And yet, worry completely paralyzes us. And so Paul writes, listen, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul says, don't worry and don't be anxious, although you're going to have a lot of stressful things that are going to come into your life. Use that as an indicator to start praying. He says, and everything, all the things, there is nothing too small and nothing too big. Start praying. But with prayer 
and supplications. Now, prayer isn't just a, a rehearsal of just all the things that are bothering you, like my engine lights on my car, the dishwasher's leaking. You know, you need to start kind of going over a laundry list of things that are, you're upset about. That's actually not prayer. That's rehearsing the list of things that are stressing you. Prayer is actively talking with God. It is expressing your heart, your thoughts, your emotions to God. He actually knows about the things that are stressing you. What he desires is that you talk with him about it. And so he says, I want you to pray about these things. Just like you don't give a a kind of a laundry list of the things that are totally overwhelming you, neither do you just kind of like, oh, this is me, the Eeyore prayers. And and I fall into this camp every once in a while. You know, oh, whoa, is me. And I mean, just like, right? No, what we want to do is we want to start talking with God. And notice what he says. And everything by prayer and supplication. That, that word has literally the idea that you make specific requests unto God. You bring these specific requests to him. And you do so with thanksgiving. You let your request be made known to God. Now, let me just tell you something. I have found this from personal experience. I've also found this from experience being a pastor. Most of us, myself included, I have a far greater tendency to worry and fret than we do to pray. In fact, it is easier to get stressed out and to continue to worry and to fret than it is to pray. We have a lifelong pattern of actually just forgetting God and just, and just focusing on the horizontal and never going vertical with it. It is harder to pray. Your flesh never wants to pray. The enemy of our souls never wants you to talk with God about these things. The world never says, well, what we really need to do is pray and seek God in this matter. It never counsels you to do that. And if, that, if the TV is your input and you've got a circle of friends that never encourage you or even pray with you, then you're always stuck in the horizontal. The hardest thing to do is the only thing we can do if you really want peace, and that is to pray. And then notice... What he says, with thanksgiving, you see that? Everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. What? I don't know. The things that make me anxious, sometimes it's really hard to find anything to be thankful about in them. Isn't that true for you? I mean, sometimes, sometimes giving thanks is like, I'm just, I'm really bothered or concerned or hurt or wounded by these things. And yet, Notice what Paul says. He writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Let me just tell you that sometimes the giving of thanks is a sacrifice. You might want to write this verse down. Psalm 116, verse 17, it says, To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. Frankly, some of our situations, maybe many of them, it's hard to find, what in the world can I give thanks for? Linda Dillow, in her book, Calm My Anxious Heart, recounts the situation where her little niece, Angie, falls out of a second-story window. She gets three fractures in her skull. And what do you do when that happens? What can you be doing when you're thanking God for the situation with a little child who's got three fractures in their skull? And she actually, in this book, records her prayer. Listen to this. This is how you pray when it's hard to find thanks. And she prayed, Lord, you know the weight of anxiety on my heart. 
I can't bear being so far away when my family is in such pain. I hurt so inside, but I choose not to be anxious. And I lift little Angie to you. It is hard to find good in this situation, but I thank you, loving Father, that you love her and that she is yours. Thank you for sparing her life. Thank you that she has access to such great medical care. And I trust you to be the blessed controller of this terrible situation. You see that? You leave your hurt and your pain and your supplication with thanksgiving for who God is, how he works, what he does, his goodness, his constant, his his stability, his strength, and his sovereignty. You weave that kind of thanksgiving into your prayers. And friends, you have the guarantee you can experience peace. So when anxiety knocks at the door, and it might be knocking right now, this afternoon, tomorrow, we're going to answer it with prayer. Prayer with thanksgiving. After all, that is how we'll experience peace. Now, sometimes you're going to need to change the scenery. Uh, sometimes I just feel like I'm a magnet for problems, okay? My own problems, other people's problems, and, and it just and it gets overwhelming. And so sometimes I have, to just, I have to go on a walk. Like me and God, no phone. I'd prefer not to see others because I'd like to talk with God. I, I think one of the reasons I, I run, or it's not running anymore, it's, it's so pathetic out there, I have to do it in the country. It, it doesn't look like it should, okay? I look like a train that doesn't work very well. I'm just out there, okay? But I'm trying, okay? You've got to give me an A for effort and a D for performance. But I'm out there, and I'm praying, and I'm taking these things to God because I desperately need his perspective and his peace in these matters. And so he says, let your request be made known. It's actually an imperative, that it's a command. Make this a lifestyle approach where you are praying to me. And you find this all throughout the scriptures. Remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, he says, Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is how a Christian lives. He or she lives in the will of God. They pray. One of the big differences between a genuine Christian and the non-believer is that the genuine Christian is developing patterns of prayer in their life. The Holy Spirit within you is always moving you to converse with God, to bring your request with God to God, to remember his goodness and his greatness. Just remember, you can bring everything and anything to him. Now, you're like, okay, theologically, God knows all these things, right? He knows all about the problems and what's bothering me and what's caused and how it's going to work out. Why, why am I supposed to pray? If he's got it all figured out, why do I have to pray? Why should I pray? Well, let me just tell you. When we pray, our relationship with God is developed. And we actually learn to rely on him as we process through, as we make decisions. And there is something that happens within our soul. It's like it's fortified. There is fortitude of soul that takes place as we learn to commune with God as we go through the difficulties of life. And prayer is a choice. That's why he writes these commands. He's like, pray. Don't be anxious, but pray. And let me tell you, if we go through life praying through our difficulties, 
with thanksgiving, when God works them out, the situation is resolved. We hit a new equilibrium, whatever that might look like. We know that God did it, and he gets all the glory and the credit. Because we know that we didn't make this up. We realize that God did the work. And so that is how we pray. We pray regularly, continually. And now let me just tell you that that doesn't mean that God is going to work it out the way you want. What? God's not like this little genie in a bottle, like, okay, this is what I want. You make three wishes and they have whatever you want. That's what you're going to get. No. When we pray, what God wants us to do is shape our will to his. I'll just tell you that personally, I have to be in the word of God. Because that is the only way that my mind is renewed with truth. Truth about God, about how powerful he is, and to get his perspective. I must also pray because naturally I will draw the wrong conclusions and I'll make the wrong decisions. But don't get the idea that God is going to always work it out the way you want it. Actually, through prayer, God actually takes our will and submits it to him. In fact, prayer in its very act, in its essence, is us, the created one, coming to the deity, the creator, and submitting our will to his. You remember Jesus praying in the garden? Remember, he said, remove this cup from me. The cup of anguish where God God the Father was going to actually express his divine wrath against sin upon his son. Don't get the idea that Jesus was fearful of the physical death. That paled in comparison to the weight of sin that he would bear in his own body for our sins. And he said, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. And yet, Luke 22, verse 42 Yet not my will, but yours be done. When we can pray like that, not my will, but your will be done. Our lives are yielded to him. We are filled with the spirit. We are walking according to his will. We are yielded beings to our creator. Remember Paul prayed about the thorn in the flesh? Please, God, remove this thorn in my flesh. In fact, he did it three different times. And oftentimes we think, well, the thorn of the flesh was something uh, physical. Uh, It's highly likely when he was talking about the messenger of Satan, Angelos of Satan, it was actually a person or some people who were completely under-eroding his ministry. And he prayed three times that God would remove that thorn from him. And yet, what did he find out? My grace, Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you. That, when we can pray like that, That is when we experience the peace of God. And he says, when you pray like this, let your request be made known to God. He says, verse 7, you got this guaranteed. And the peace of God. Peace is literally the calmness and confidence that comes from actively resting and trusting in Christ. Calmness, confidence that comes from actively resting in and trusting in Christ. This is what God wants for you. This is one of the greatest gifts of Christmas, that you would know peace. It is only found by resting and trusting in Christ. It comes through prayer, prayer with thanksgiving. And so he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. You see that in verse 7? It doesn't make sense to the natural man. The unbeliever 
when he or she watches a Christian going through difficulties and yet having a sense of peace and stability because of their relationship with Christ, they're like, what in the world? How is that even possible? That gives you opportunity to give testimony of the power of the presence of Jesus. It doesn't make sense to the world, but God gives a peace that surpasses all comprehension. And notice what he says. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. True peace isn't the absence of conflict. It isn't good feelings. It comes from knowing God and his presence in the midst of the struggle. We got the idea that peace is on all the world we write. Nothing will, there'll be no problems. I'll have everything I want. I mean, I'll have this moment of tranquility and I will celebrate peace. Guess what? You are going to have it, just not in this lifetime. When you get into heaven, it'll all be perfect. In this life, you're going to have tribulation. Peace isn't the absence of problems. Peace is the presence of Christ and you experiencing that, focusing on him. And so he says, he will give you the peace of God. It'll surpass all comprehension. And notice verse 7. This is huge. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's actually using a military term. Just like a guard would stand on duty and he'd be watching and observing, protecting, and in case needed, he would fight for protection. God says, I will give you a peace. My peace, and my peace will guard your hearts. The idea of your thinking and your emotions and your sense of being and your minds, your processing. I'll guard it. I'll guide you. I'll give it to you. But it is all found in Christ. Now, it's really interesting about the things that are making us anxious. Uh, I read about the Bureau of Standards. They had done this uh, This little, I'm not exactly sure how they figured this out, but they, they said that you could know that if you have it seven blocks, seven city blocks, and it's in a dense fog that is 100 feet high, that actually all of that liquid, if, if you could actually condense that all into liquid, taking it from a vapor to a liquid, it would actually fit in just a glass, like a, a common drinking glass. In fact, it'd actually be less than full. Like, what? Really? I don't know. First of all, I'd be curious. How in the world did you figure that out? But I, I could see, you know, you take a smaller area. And there's no way they did a study. We'll, we'll do seven blocks here. No. But you, you, you could see and do the math. You had a smaller area. However, it's pretty interesting. That is how it works with our stress and the things that are really bothering us. They seem huge. We can't see clearly. It's like, whoa, I can't even see very far ahead of me. And yet in reality, it all fits in to a glass of water. God says, I want you to experience my peace. That peace, friends, is found in resting in and trusting in Christ. Please don't miss the, how it ends in verse 7. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, if you're going to have the peace of God, you must have peace with God. And this is where the world and our nation gets all tripped up. We find situations like we've experienced this past couple of weeks where we desperately like peace, right? We want some sort of peace in our soul. But God is not going to give peace apart from him. Just like there is no joy apart from Christ, there is no peace apart from Christ. You've got to truly know him. 
Like it says in Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, declared right with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason that you and I can have peace because we're Christians is because Christ has actually borne the penalty for our sin. The thing that created separation between us and the Father was our sin. God satisfied his just penalty against sin by sacrificing his son. That, just like we sang in that final song, the song, the veil's been torn. You and I have access with God to God at any time because Christ has made the way. We have it. It's always available. Let me tell you the problem. We're not going to the source. We're not going to Christ. That's why he says, if you want it, it's always found in Christ Jesus. Now, what do you do if you're in this situation here? Okay, you're like, okay, I got it. I have this problem, and I am, I'm entrusting it to the Lord, and I've talked with him about it, and I'm doing pretty good, but then 15 minutes later, whoosh, it comes back on you, right? It's just like this big, dark, black cloud. Just, whoosh, it's back on you. You ever had that experience? I just, I just prayed about this, and now I got it back again. Is anybody in that camp? Okay, good. All right. And the kids, okay. All right, good. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. What do you do? Well, let me just tell you. It's kind of like grilling or cooking food. Now, just talk to my wife. I'm no expert on anything that I'm talking about in this next little segment here, okay? Uh, and I have more disasters than success and victories. However, I do know this. Like, if you're, if you're cooking meat, okay, and if you, if you want to know what it's, if it's ready, there's something called a meat thermometer, okay? And you stick it in there, and it actually tells you the temperature of the meat inside, which is actually going to be very important, right? I mean, if, if it's not cooked through and through, you're going to be pretty sick, and you're going to make everybody sick this Christmas. So, what do you, so you actually see what the temperature is inside. When you and I find that we're getting stressed again, and it's just been a few minutes, do you know what that means? It means to put it back on the grill. It means that you and I... We have to go back to prayer. Or like, here's something I really know nothing about, and that's baking a cake, okay? But I do know this, that, that if Karina's baking a cake, that I am supposed to check when the beeper goes off. I think this is how it works. Correct me wrong. But you grab a toothpick, right? And you open the oven. You do not burn yourself, right? And you stick the toothpick into the cake. And if there's a bunch of batter on there, that indicates what? It's not done. More heat required, Right? And then if, if you took it in and there's really nothing sticking into it, it's either done or overdone, okay? So you should take it out of the oven, all right? If, but if it's got batter on the toothpick, you know what? More heat is needed. Friends, still stressing? Yeah. More prayer, prayer required. These are weighty matters. I'm not making light of them. Neither is God. They're heavy. They need Christ to carry your burdens. And so that's what we do. Just let me give you a couple of verses in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. It says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you, casting all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. He loves you. He cares for you. He says, all of that anxiety, cast it onto me. Please, Give it unto me. My burden is light. You're making it heavy. Maybe you think you're more in control than you really are. Maybe you think that you're more sovereign than you really, you really aren't. Trust me. Cast your anxiety upon me. 
You know, with kids, when they face a threatening situation, they're running to mama and daddy. How come we as children of God, we face stressful situations? We're not running to our Heavenly Father. He says, come to me. Please come to me. I want to give you the gift of peace. I'm going to see you through this. See, the peace of Christ is rooted in trusting in the presence of God. Several years ago, I had the uh, distinct privilege of hanging out with Dr. Dwight Pentecost. I think you're familiar with him. In fact, there's a picture of him. Uh, he's 98 years old. He's still teaching at Dallas Theological Seminary, okay? He started teaching there in 1955. That's after he finished his career in Philadelphia. He started teaching in 1948. Okay, the guy's been around for a while. And so, I mean, it's, it's awesome to be able to have him come to our church and to be able to speak. I had the privilege several years ago to actually hang out with him in Colorado at his, uh, his cabin there on his back porch. And I, I love being around men and women who've walked with the Lord for years and years and years. And they have this, there's a sweetness and a stability to them. There's a joy. I'm like, man, I want that. And I want to be like you so bad if God should have me at that age. I mean, it is just, it's so attractive. And this is one of the guys, and, he, and he's got it. He's got a wealth of biblical knowledge. And, and so we just, I, I was having a good time. I don't know if he was having a good time. I'm asking him all these questions. If you know me, I can ask lots of questions because I, I, I need lots of answers. I don't have a, a lot of answers. I want to know. And so I'm asking him all these questions. And then toward the end of our time, I said, you know, hey, you can't be a person, a pastor, a parent, a professor for all that long without having a lot of headaches and heartaches and hard things. How in the world do you go through them? And as per usual, I was working through some more difficult issues. How do you go through them? He's sitting there in his chair and that smile. And he goes, well, you know, he said this. He said he didn't let them overwhelm him, overwhelm him because he believed so much in the sovereignty of God. God has a plan, a purpose, and he's working all things according to his will. I simply have my trust in him who is in control. That is so good. Uh, several years ago, I was coming back from an elders meeting with one of our elders. And the, the, the subject of people dealing with difficulty came up. Because everybody deals with difficulty. Lots of people in our church. And I was asking, well, you know, how do you handle all the disappointments and hard things in your life? And he said this, quote, that God always works things out and there is no problem that he can't resolve. And that is what this passage teaches us. Did you want peace? God wants you to have it. He wants you to open that gift daily. Peace. It is in trusting God that we have and find the peace of God. Life is sometimes a mystery. It's filled with problems. But God's greatest gift is his very presence. He wants you to know the Lord like a friend. To come to him. To find a joy in his presence. And so, what's really stressing you? When anxiety knocks... We're going to answer the door with prayer. Pressure is inevitable. Prayer is a choice. And peace comes from actively trusting Christ in prayer. And so remember Jesus, he said, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take courage. I, I have overcome the world. So that is our vision, that we will be securing God's peace by staying focused and speaking with Christ our Lord. And peace 
is one of the greatest gifts of Christmas, the gift that comes from Christ himself. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing passage. Lord, would you take the words of Scripture and just interweave them with our life in such a way that this becomes part of our DNA. It is who we are. It is how we live. We encourage one another. We are with one another. We are praying with one another because you are a refuge and strength and a very present help in time of trouble. So God, you know about the difficulties and the hardships. Right now, we come to you in prayer with supplication, with thanksgiving. And Father, for those who are here today who have never placed their trust in you, peace has always evaded them, a deep sense of peace because they have never trusted Christ. Would they pray with me and say, Lord, this Christmas, today, I am turning from self and my sin. I trust in Jesus as Lord, Redeemer, Savior, and Friend. Thank you for forgiving me by paying the penalty of my sin. Lord, fill me with your presence. We all, Lord, we yield our lives to you for your glory. May we experience your peace this Christmas and for the days ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.